Good morning, Gateway Fellowship Church. Sunday morning, I'm Bill Taylor, and uh, let me just get this out of the way real quick. Are, are you serious right now that the Ken's weatherman's going to open up a message about trust issues? You talking about a 30% chance we can trust what you're saying right now? Maybe 40% now that it's second service? I, I don't know, man. <laughs> right? Hey, I, I do have a room that a lot of people in this room have some trust issues. I've got a room that I was in recently that we've all got some trust issues. It's this room right here. The dentist chair, the dentists, right? Okay, yeah, right? This was me just this past Wednesday getting some crown work done and I realized you, you lie back in this chair, you're trusting everything that's going on up there because you can't see any of it, right? I've got this thing on my mouth, and then the jabbing and the drilling, and I'm just, you know, trusting what is happening because I can't see. And then, okay, am I the only one who has trouble with, like, what do we do with our eyes? Like, do you just keep them shut? Do you stare at the dentist while he's working, right? I don't want to creep him out or anything, right? I don't want to creep him out. But it's all about trust. I mean, we've really got to trust everything that's going on because we can't see it. Right? We've got to trust what's going on because sometimes we can't see it. It's only five letters, but the word trust hits just by saying it. When you saw this series title, you're here, right? Yeah, we've all dealt with it. I want to start first with a definition of trust, and there's two. First, as a noun. Trust means assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. And then there's trust as a verb, to believe that someone is good and honest and will not harm you, to believe that something is safe and reliable. What we're going to learn today is that Trust with each other begins with trust in God. Trusting each other begins in the vertical, begins with God. Now, the true definition that I read about, trust is the fuel for life. And I love that phrase that came from a book I read. And I want to share with you what I learned because this is truly mind-blowing. Have you guys ever heard of oxytocin? Oxytocin is a hormone. Want to see it? There it is. Oxytocin. It's in the hypothalamus right here. Okay. It's secreted by the posterior pituitary gland and secreted through your body as a hormone when the cells are stimulated and moving through the hypothalamus. That's where it all comes out and stimulates those neurons through the pituitary gland and you have oxytocin flowing through your body. Pretty good. And, and you thought I was only a weatherman. <laughs> no, but it's so cool because oxytocin is produced in the hypothalamus and is working through your body for a very specific purpose. Okay, get this. It has to do with how God designed trust in our bodies. He uses oxygen.
In his book, Trust, Dr. Henry Cloud explains, when we're born, there are increased maternal oxytocin levels that stimulate the breast tissue in mom to help in lactation. Scientists will put it this way, and I quote, increased oxytocin is significantly related to more affectionate contact behaviors in mothers and newborns following initial mother-infant contact. You see that? that? That oxytocin is this chemical bonding. God uses this design feature to develop trust between mom and between baby. Now, here's the coolest part. I haven't even gotten to that yet. You ready? That before any scientist called it oxytocin, in fact, long before science even discovered the first hormone, which according to the National Institute of Health was 1902. That's when science said, oh, that's a hormone in your body. Here's what works. 1902. Long before that, it's in the word of God. Psalm 22.9. Look at this. Psalm 22.9 says, Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. That's in the book of Psalms. That is so cool. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You form my innermost parts. The Psalms come to life. That's the truth of the word of God. That's cool. Long before any scientist said hormone, oxytocin, and the rest, hypothalamus and pituitary gland. Right? David was writing about it in Psalms. Isn't that cool? Oh, by the way, dads, we're not left out on this, okay? We're not left out. Dads, oxytocin is released in both us and our children. You ready? When we play together. Oxytocin when we're wrestling. Oxytocin when we're playful. Play with those kids. Isn't that why dad always wants playtime? Let's go play. That's why the kids are like, where's dad? Where's daddy? I want to go play, right? Because we know that's what starts happening. Oxytocin starts being released. Those cells, those neurons are firing. But ultimately, what we learn is that God is using that to build trust. That trust is happening on a much higher level. Trust is the fuel for life. And it's not just in the family. In these early moments I'm describing, listen to this. Trust that you, again, establish in those moments, take to adolescence, take to teenage years, and now that we're adults, it's all through our culture. Rises in trust affect gross domestic product growth in an economy. Work teams with high trust are outperforming teams with low trust. People higher in trust who are more trustworthy have better physical health have fewer health problems. High trust lowers anxiety. High trust lowers depression. Married couples who are focused on building emotional trust are more successful. So many positives of how trust is working. But we're going to get to the negatives too, aren't we? We can't 
talk about trust without talking about the other side of this, the not-so-good moments of trust. When trust is broken, when trust is destroyed. Maybe it's a coworker that you trusted on that project and let you down. Maybe it's a good friend that you told some pretty confidential information to, only for them to spill the tea because they had some good juicy gossip. They wanted to tell a good story. Maybe it's a brother or sister and you thought they were gonna help take care of mom and dad. You needed them and they broke their trust in you and you broke their, they broke their trust. Or worse, it's your spouse. You trusted with your heart, that you loved, that you gave everything to, only to be betrayed, only to see that trust broken and destroyed, and it takes a marriage. There's two people in the Old Testament that I want to talk to you about today and we're going to read about, whose relationship with God is going to help us with our trust issues. This truly is going to help us deal with our trust issues. First. A person who broke trust in a huge way. He committed adultery. He murdered to try to cover it up. He was lying on top of lying on top of lying. We're going to see exactly how he was able to restore an important relationship and be trusted again. It's David, King David. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. So there's two Samuel books. First and Second Samuel chronicle the circumstances of David. And then we know David to have written almost all the Psalms. So what's really cool is that the books of Samuel cover his circumstances. The book of Psalms, David's heart. Because despite being that murderer, adulterer, liar, when David's first described in the Bible, it's as, quote, a man after God's heart. A man after God's heart. Wanting to spend time in his temple, dwell in his temple, and inquire all of my days. Wouldn't that be cool, guys? If that's how we're spending time with God, our Father? Wouldn't that be cool if we're described that way, that we're people after God's heart? We just want to get up in his lap and spend time with him. That's the kind of relationship David cultivated. He was a man after God's heart. In fact, that description, God bless you, it came when King Saul was finding out that he was no longer going to be king. It's in 1 Samuel, we're in chapter 13, verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. You being Saul, Samuel, informing him, I've got a man after my heart. Then as a young teenager, David is anointed. This is 1 Samuel 16. It's in verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes. I, I had to look that one up. I was like, ruddy? Ruddy means rosy-cheeked, healthy appearance. So with bright eyes, good-looking, 
And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Came upon David from that day forward. In fact, it wasn't long after this, the famous story, David was still a teenager when he had trust in God more than fear in his heart and defeated a nine-foot, nine-inch Philistine named Goliath. Almost 10 feet tall, the Bible says. Somebody who would look down on Victor Weminyama and be like, really? Really? Right? Trust over fear. David, anointed, sees and feels God work through him. David promised to be the family tree that would produce our Savior Jesus. The line of David will produce Jesus. That's the promise given to this young shepherd boy. What a choice. What a selection. It's in 2 Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. And then in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, the line of David, person by person, leading to Jesus. It's amazing the favor this young shepherd boy was given yet still was human, yet still had real-world struggles. So fast forward now to when David's a king and war's going on, but David says, I'm going to stay back. I'm going to stay here at the kingdom. And He's on his roof one day when he walks over and he sees Bathsheba, and he likes what he sees. So he orders his people, bring her to me, and of course they do, and he sleeps with her, and she's pregnant. Now David's got a real problem on his hands because Bathsheba's married. In fact, she's married to Uriah, one of David's top military officials, who's out fighting for David and for the kingdom of Israel. And David does him like this. So David's like, all right, here's what I'll do. He's been at war. I'll bring him home. He'll sleep with his wife, surely. He'll think he got her pregnant. Perfect. Uh-oh. Uriah comes home and doesn't sleep with Bathsheba. Bible tells us that instead, Uriah slept outside with the king's officers. Now David's got a real fix. And he's like, now what do I do? All right. And he orders his soldiers that when they're back out at war, pull back, leave Uriah out there on his own to be killed. And Uriah is dead. David has him murdered. Lie after lie on top of lie. I mean, isn't this what we do, right? We try to tell another lie, we cover it up. Goes back to Adam and Eve, right? That original sin, let's cover it up. You know what? It's, it's, it's a lot like this piece of paper with trust. Complete trust. We've got it together. We've got this great relationship built on trust. And then we tell a lie. And then 
we betray a friend. And then we don't take responsibility for some of our actions. We blame others. I think it could even get worse. We write that email. We write that text and say and lie to ourselves, it's innocent, it's fine. It's no big thing. We break trust again. Leads to an affair. Leads to infidelity. And we've broken trust into a million pieces. And trust is broken, scattered. And what do we do? What do we do? We're going to get all this back together because I, I did this. I broke trust in you and everybody, my friends, my loved ones. I'm going to get it back together because I love you and I, I want it to be good. And I didn't mean it. I, I really didn't mean it. I'm sorry. Let me, let me do this, please. You know, you know what? I've got tape. I can, I can do it. I, I know I can do this and get everything back together. No, I, I can't. I can't get these pieces back to that paper and that restoration and that trust that this was built on. I can't. I won't be able to do it. I won't be able to do it. We need somebody who knows what to do with these pieces in our lives and this brokenness. The Bible says that Jesus binds the brokenness, right? I need somebody to help me in these moments. And you know, the other side of this is true too. For the person you hurt, for the person broken and in pain because of the trust they had in you, they're putting their lives back together. They're walking through their day and things are going great and I feel better having a good day. But then I'm reminded a trigger reminds me of what you did, reminds me of what happened. And when you broke trust, and I'm right back to that pain again, I'm right back to that betrayal moment, what do I do? How, how do I trust again? We're going to talk about that in a moment. First, I want to tell you what David did. Because see, here we are at this crossroads. What, what are we going to do? Are we going to keep lying? And keep going lie after lie after lie? Or are we going to tell the truth? Do you know how much easier it is to tell the truth? you know how much harder and how much more work it is on your psyche, on your life, to keep on lying and to keep up with them? What lie did I tell them? What lie did I tell her? What lie did I tell? Okay, hold on. I mean, trying to keep track of that. When the truth, one and done. I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. How much easier? Let's take some lessons from a man after God's heart. Because trust with each other begins with trusting God. Look at how David, let's first see how David reacts when he's confronted with this sin. In 2 Samuel, it's a story of when a friend and an advisor named Nathan came to David. And he tells him a story about a rich man, a poor man, and a traveler. Traveler's coming through town. David, let me tell you a story of something that happened recently. This guy's coming through town, and the rich man says, let's prepare a feast. 
And this rich man has cattle, sheep, goats, loaded, fields full. Instead of taking one of his many to kill and prepare for a good feast, he goes to the poor man's ranch and his one sheep. He's got one he adored and he takes that one and kills it and prepares it for the meal. David hears this and is outraged. The story is all chronicled in 2 Samuel. Look what happens. 2 Samuel 12, verse 5. So David's anger was greatly aroused against this man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. David's going to have him killed. He can't believe he would do something like that. I want him dead. But in verse 7, Nathan says to David, you are the man. David is like, Phew. Nathan uses this parable to show David what kind of trust he broke, what kind of act he did, what kind of lies he told. You are the man. And realizing this truth in first, second, sorry, second Samuel 12, 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. His conviction so deep that he realizes who he first sinned against. A man after God's heart sits down in that conviction and writes Psalm 51. Based on this conversation with Nathan, this realization of his heart. Psalm 51 verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. The psalmist, the songwriter facing the music, getting honest to himself and to God. I'll never do it again. I promise, God. Right? That's our prayer. We don't act like David. Please, God, don't let this happen now. Please, God, take away this consequence of my sin. I didn't mean it. I'm so sorry. I promise I'll never do it again. I promise, I promise I'll never do it again. Please don't let this happen. David says the opposite. You are just when you speak, blameless when you judge. You are God. I love you, I trust you first. Have your way. That's what David's saying. Have your way. What happens? Have your way. You are just, you are blameless. I did this. I acknowledge my sin is ever before me. Restore your trust in God. Yes, you hurt someone. Yes, it's bad. Restore your trust in God. That's where this begins. That's how David started. Because here's what we all too often do. We stay here and try to keep making this better ourselves. Because we're too low, convicted. We don't feel worthy enough to go to a righteous God. We believe God. I can't go to church. I'm not going to pray today. 
I'm not going to go to small group this week. I, I, no, I just, I don't feel right. I don't, no, get to God as fast as you can. That's what David does. Ask for mercy. Ask for compassion. Believe in this God like David does when he continues in Psalm 51. Listen to these words. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That's, oh, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. That's a prayer of repentance. That's a prayer of repentance. And now it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that your loved one hears. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit and the unity of the Holy Spirit when you come forward with the confession, the apology, and when you say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? It's the Spirit of God in you that makes that possible. When sorry really means something and you're asking for forgiveness because you've restored it here first. Here's the formula. You've got to get things right in the vertical and trust God in the vertical before you ask for forgiveness in the horizontal. It's got to be that way for this to work. For these pieces to be put back together. For restoration that is true. It's the Holy Spirit in you when you say forgive me that makes all the difference. Now the second person, you're trying to recover, right? You're trying to make it happen, and you're hurting so bad. So the second person was Jeremiah. Jerusalem is destroyed, right? Destroyed. And, and Jeremiah takes it personally. He says, in Lamentations 3, 1 through 4, I'm the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He's led me and made me walk in darkness, not in light. Surely he's turned his hand against me time and time again. Throughout the day he's aged my flesh and my skin. He's broken my bones. Look at Lamentations 3, verse 6. He set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He hedged me in so I cannot get out. Made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. Isn't that how it feels when someone betrays you? He hedged me in. I'm, I'm now carrying all these chains of betrayal, and I, I can't anymore. Where are you, God? What, when, when do you make it better for me? I did everything that was right. And, and they broke their trust. I had trust in them. I did everything right. You have to get rid of these chains by doing what David did and going to God and remembering who he is, remembering who he is. Look at Lamentations 3.20. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. 
Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah wrote that more than 2,500 years ago for you today. Great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Unto me. It's personal, it's real, and he's faithful. God is trustworthy, y'all. God is trustworthy. More than any person you know. God is trustworthy. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our ever-present help in trouble. Those are the promises of the Bible that you have to have on your heart, that you memorize for these triggers. When that moment comes, ever-present is our Lord. I'm not going to stay down here anymore and try to do this on my own. I've been there, I've been there. I've broken trust with people I love. And I tried so hard to get this back. I'm gonna do it, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, you know what? The rest of your life's gonna be fine. You wanna live? You wanna live? You go to God. You go to God. Because the Bible says, he will uphold, uphold me in his righteous right hand. God is the one who takes the pieces and makes masterpieces. Yes. Glory to God. Glory to God. I I'm, I'm going to clean this up, I promise y'all. Glory to God. You have to remember. You know how you remember? In daily abiding. Prayer, reading the Bible. You know how you remember? Sometimes when people remind you. That's in a small group setting. That's with some friends who are after the heart of God. I've got a group of men I am so grateful for that are faithful every Thursday morning. And I dwell on those men around that table and the way we pour out and into each other with prayer requests and real life circumstances and we chase after God's heart every Thursday morning. 